When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Amen. If that last verse doesn't get your attention, this whole parable doesn't get your attention, I don't know what will. And the question that you might be asking right now is, is Jesus talking about a works based salvation, you know, where what we do determines on what we get, you know, if we're good to the right people, which is everybody, God will like us and we get to go to heaven, and if we're not, then God won't and we'll be punished in hell forever. And it's a reasonable conclusion to draw just from that isolated event, but you might be thinking, well, Pastor Mark, you said something else. You said something else. And there is good news that it's not what you do determines what you get. That's religion. That's Old Covenant. But even in the Old Covenant, If you read your Old Testament, you know that over and over it says that the just shall walk by faith. So there's always been another element. It's not talking about earning our salvation here. Within religion, what you do determines what you get, for better or worse. If you do enough good, then you're good and you're righteous and God loves you and you get to be in heaven with him. And if you're not and you don't do enough and your bad outweighs your good. But in religion, it's up to you. And praise God, Christianity is not a religion. We can praise God that there is grace because there is not enough good for you to do. Scripture makes it clear. No one is righteous, not one. We need God's grace. In fact, Paul said, bringing us back to this relationship that we have with Jesus, bringing us back to grace. Paul said in Galatians 2.21, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be attained or gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. And let me tell you, 
Christ did not die for nothing. Christ died for you. Christ died for all of us. Christ died for the people that are not sitting in a church on Sunday morning. Christ died for the people that God and the things of God are the farthest thing from their mind. Whether they're good people going about their lives or whether they're not, Christ died for them. And Christ died for us. So hit the pause button for a second. We're in the third week of a series titled Unexpected. And you might have come in thinking, okay, what's going to be different? Right? Anybody? You were going to expect the unexpected. And the opening of the service was pretty much what you would have normally expected. So maybe the fact that nothing unexpected happened was the unexpected thing. Ah, now what do you do with that? But my hope and my prayer, we've had some fun. We've mixed up some things. We've tried to get you on your toes a little bit to be leaning in so that the routines of life don't cause us to lose our sense of expectancy for the God that is not constrained by our routines. And so my hope and my prayer is that you've been learning to lean into the unlikely. And we have had some fun. In fact, in the first service, I encouraged some people to sit in a different place. Like, don't sit where you always sit. Sit in another section. If you sit towards the back, come towards the front. If you sit towards the front, maybe move towards the back. Maybe God would show you something. Maybe you would see something. Maybe there would be a perspective shift that would help you to understand who he is. Maybe you would meet someone new because you sat somewhere else and you would make a new friend. There's all kinds of things that can happen, but I want to encourage you to do that throughout the rest of this series. But even though we've had a little bit of fun with this unexpected theme, today is about as serious a subject as you can imagine. And sadly, Scripture tells us that there will be many who will receive a very unexpected and very unpleasant surprise in the final judgment. They'll be fully expecting to be ushered into an eternity with God because of all the things that they've done. And they're not going. And I feel like I need to warn you just a little bit. I had a pretty good weekend. You might think, why is he warning us that he had a good weekend? Well, when the pastor has a really good weekend and spends the weekend on the mountaintops with God, experiencing amazing worship and amazing speaking and amazing time in our 24 hours of prayer, like, I mean, I've been drinking from the fire hose for the last 48 hours. So buckle up, right? Because when the pastor gets a little fired up, who knows what could happen? And the pastor feels some conviction that there might be people sitting in my church, people sitting under my teaching that would have that unexpected surprise, the worst surprise ever. I can't handle it. We got to talk about it. We got to make sure that people know. And yes, I'm the pastor of this church, but there are people in your life that might have the worst surprise ever. So we're going to talk about it today. But before we do, I want to talk just a little bit about the difference between conviction and condemnation. I've mentioned this before, but I'm hoping that many of you will experience some conviction today as I have experienced conviction over the last 48 hours. I felt inspired by God to do something. I 
felt the Spirit of God touch some things in my life that needed to change. And maybe the same will happen for you today. But we have to be aware that we have an enemy who does not want that to happen, does not want you to get closer to God, does not want you to change in the areas that the Spirit would tell you need to change, in the areas that the Spirit would convict you. So the enemy comes in right on the heels of the conviction that the Spirit of God wants to bring you. God himself, one third part of the Trinity, wants you to know some things and experience some conviction, and the enemy comes in and brings condemnation with it tries to separate you from God, separate you from God's will for your life. I never say something with the intention of condemnation coming to you. I can promise you that. I might get a little fired up, but I'm not mad at you. (laughs) And God's not mad at you. God always convicts to bring us closer to him and enemy always condemns to push us farther away from him. So that's how you can tell when you're dealing with conviction versus condemnation. And I feel like we should just stop right now and pray. So I want you to bow your heads or I want you to raise your heads and raise your hands, whatever feels like prayer to you. And we're going to pray and I'm going to speak the name of Jesus over every person that is listening to this message. Because he is here. He is moving in this place. And he wants to bring salvation to somebody who is listening to this message. He wants to bring healing to somebody who is listening to this message. He wants to draw somebody closer to himself. And he is here. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to do what you want to do. We invite you to move, to speak, to inspire, and we pray that you will have your way in the time that we give to you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as our opening scripture mentioned and as my little introduction mentioned, we're talking about the worst surprise ever. The idea that that you're expecting one thing at the final judgment where eternity is at stake and you get something else. And it's fascinating to consider as we look at that story of the sheep and the goats that both the sheep and the goats were surprised in that story. Did you pick up on that? Both the sheep, the righteous, and the goats, the unrighteous, were surprised. Now, if you look at the goats first in verses 44 and 45, they were surprised and they say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? Surely we would have. I mean, you're Jesus. (laughs) We would have helped you, Jesus. And he replies, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And so their surprise reveals that they were trying to succeed at religion. That they were trying to curry God's favor. They were trying to do enough to make God like them, to make God love them, to make God look with favor upon them and to bless them. They were trying to earn their way, but they also reveal their motive. And it was a selfish motive, right? But if you look at the sheep, 
If you look at the righteous in this parable, they say in verse 37, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? They're just as surprised. Which reveals that they never saw what they were doing as earning their salvation. They never saw what they were doing as earning God's favor. They never saw their good works as a means of putting God in their debt so that he would have to bless them or he would have to bring them to heaven. They appear just as surprised as the unrighteous because they didn't do their good works with ulterior motives. They didn't do what they were doing for themselves. They just had God's love living in them, at work within them, and they did what was right. And when they saw somebody in need and they had the ability to meet that need, they met the need. When they saw somebody without clothing or without what they needed, they helped. When they saw somebody in prison or sick, they went to visit. They went to be with them, to be that incarnational ministry, that presence in their lives. And so it's fascinating to me that they're both surprised. And it's fascinating to me that here we're talking about what we did or did not do for the least of these we did or did not do for Jesus. But I think there's an interesting parallel that, that you could make an extension here that, that it's not just about doing the right things. It's also about not doing the wrong things. Like you could take this parable, and I think it's very reasonable to expect that Jesus would say that the people that we mistreat, not just ignore but mistreat, whether we do that for racial motives or we do that for socioeconomic motives or we do that just because they ticked us off, that the way we treat them is also we're treating Jesus the same way. Because if when we did something for the least of these, we did it for Jesus, or we didn't do something for the least of these, we did it for Jesus, you could make the case that how we treat the least of these, in our opinion, is how we're treating Jesus. Because Scripture tells us very clearly we are all made in the image of God. We are the pinnacle of creation, and He has His fingerprints all over every single one of you and all over all the people out there that you're going to see that are going to cut you off in traffic or are going to say things that you don't want to hear or are going to offend you in some way that we can't lock eyes with anybody that Jesus didn't die for. We can't lock eyes for any, with anybody that wasn't created in the image of God. And so that should change our perspective and should change the way that we treat people. But it's very important to understand here that righteousness is not just a matter of doing the right thing or not doing the wrong thing. This brings us back to Paul's verse. That if righteousness could be gained through the law, through our obedience to the law, then Christ died for nothing and he didn't die for nothing. So righteousness has to mean something more than checking the boxes. And this word that we translate as righteous really sort of encapsulates having right standing with. So when he talks about the righteous, or when he talks about righteousness, he's talking about people who have right standing with God. They've been approved by God. And their approval clearly is not solely on the basis of what they have done, which is very good news. Because Scripture tells us clearly we can't do enough good to outweigh the bad. So you might say, Why, where are you going with all this? Okay, how do we get that? How do we get righteousness, Pastor Mark? I'd like it. 
you got my attention with the whole eternity in hell versus eternity in heaven. I would really like to be among the righteous. I would like to be the ones that receive that welcome into God's presence for eternity. So how do we become righteous? Do we just cry out, Lord, Jesus, Lord, Lord, save me. Do we do more? Do we try harder? He says in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Okay, so it's not the Lord, Lord. You can rule that off. Cross that one off. In fact, he goes on to say, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. You might think, evildoers? How could, how could prophesying in his name and driving out demons or perform miracles. A lot of modern American Christians don't even do that. How is that evil doing? And the answer to that question is really the crux because it points us back to what Jesus says, I never knew you. I never knew you. Jesus doesn't want us to do a bunch of things for him. He wants to know us and be known by us. Now we're starting to understand what it is that makes us righteous in God's sight. It's knowing and being known by Jesus. Nothing else. And he, he makes this really clear in John 6, 28 and 29. So you back up to Matthew seven twenty one before you turn there. And he says, only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, that's who's righteous. That's who's going to go to heaven. So what is the will of his Father? Well, he addresses that in another place in John 6, 28 and 29. In John 6, 28 and 29, people ask Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? See, they had a religion mindset. They said, okay, God, what must we do to do the works God requires? They've got a religion mindset where what I do determines what I get. So tell me what to do, God, and I'll go do it. And here's what Jesus says. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent to believe in the one he has sent to know him and be known by him. That, that is the one who does the will of his Father who is in heaven. And you might be saying, well, that's it? Just believe? There's got to be more. That doesn't sound like work. It almost sounds too easy. Well, that word we're translating as believe, you should know, is a word that means to rely upon, to cling to, to trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. To cling to Him and Him alone for salvation. To not point to your resume. To not point to the things that you've done, the good things that you've done for God. The prophesying and the casting out demons and the miracles and the, the other things that you might put on your resume. But to believe, to rely upon, cling to, and trust in God and God alone, and Jesus, and Jesus alone. And let me tell you, that is work. That will not happen by accident. 
You will not know Jesus and be known by Jesus without intentionality and without investment of time and energy and attention and passion. If, if we don't know him, it doesn't matter what we did. If we don't know Jesus, it doesn't matter what we did apart from that. And that's our bottom line today, that it's not what you do, it's who you know. If you've worked in business at all, you've heard the statement, it's not what you know, it's who you know, right? It's not what you know, it's who you know. You can be the smartest person in the room, but if you don't have the connections, that's what that phrase is saying, then it's not what you know, it's who you know. But the gospel says it's not what you do, it's who you know. It's not what you do, it's who you know. And so to think about this maybe from a little bit different angle, I want you to think about the most famous person you've ever met. Think about the most famous person that you've ever met. Maybe it was a celebrity, maybe it was a sports star, maybe it was a great leader, maybe it was a politician, you got to meet him at a fundraising dinner or something, take a picture with him. Maybe you've never met somebody that would be famous on a national level, but you've met a local hero. You've met somebody and gotten the opportunity to spend time with them, and that made you feel better because you had met that important person. For me, the most famous person that I've ever had the opportunity to meet based on that criteria is Grant Hill. If you're a follower of basketball, you know who Grant Hill is. He was a standout at Duke University, won several national championships there. He went to the NBA. He was a seven-time NBA All-Star. He's in the Hall of Fame. Like, Grant Hill, right? I'm walking through the Atlanta airport. I'm like, you're Grant Hill. He said, yes, I am. <laughs> who are you? And so I told him my name. I said, can I get a picture with you? He's like, Sure. So I took a picture, and I tried to get the camera just right so it wouldn't look like he's six or seven inches taller than me. I almost wore that shirt. I still have that shirt. I was going to call it my Grant Hill shirt, but it's short-sleeved, and it's cold. And so I looked, and I was like, I got a shirt like the shirt Grant Hill's wearing. I'm going to wear that shirt. So I wore the shirt, and I was like, I got a jacket like that, too. That's pretty cool. So I'm like, I'm going to throw that jacket on. But in reality, Grant Hill's not the most famous person I've ever met. Six or seven billion people don't have a clue who Grant Hill is. But I have met with the God of the universe this morning. I spent some time with him. I sat at that table back there for like two and a half hours, went by like that in the 24 hours of prayer. The God of the universe. You know what blows me away about that? He wants to know me. I was impressed that Grant Hill asked me my name. But Grant Hill's not telling anybody that he met Mark Sundstrom. And he was gracious, and he was polite. By the time we got done with our little interchange, there was a whole line, and I'm like, I'm sorry, dude. And he's like, it's okay. It's part of the deal. And he took some more pictures and he signed some more autographs. And it was a class act. <laughs> but he didn't, he didn't wake up thinking about me. Like the God of the universe woke up thinking about you. He didn't ask me for my number. We didn't become friends on social media. 
We didn't exchange any information. I've never talked to Grant, Grant Hill since then. But the God of the universe is desperate to know me and to be known by me. And he'll spend as much time as I will give him getting to know me and being known by me. And it is only through a personal relationship where we know Jesus and Jesus knows us that we will find righteousness and salvation, that we will step into right standing with God. The new covenant, the covenant in his blood, the covenant we talked about two weeks ago in the paradigm shift message, that new covenant is a covenant where we enter into God's blessing and favor and his family forever on the basis of what Jesus has done not on the basis of what we have done or can do. Because it's not what you do. It's who you know. It's not what's on your resume. It's not where you went to school or how much you've learned or how many Bible studies you have done. It's not the good works. It's not what I do or what I know determines what I get. What we learn about Jesus Helps us to know him and know him better. So yes, you should study. Yes, you should go to, to Bible studies and you should read your Bibles and you should go to the banding together groups and you should learn about God. I'm not saying these things don't matter. I'm saying they won't save us. They're not going to make us righteous. It's who we know. Do we know Jesus? Are we learning from him? Are we learning with him? Have we surrendered our lives to him? Because once you get to know Jesus and you know what he has done for you and what he has made available to you, you really want to get to know him better. You really want him to know you better. You lay everything before him. You surrender completely. You give your life to him. And, and so it's not what I do that determines what I get. It's whose I am. It's whose I am that determines what I have received, that I have a new identity, that I have an inheritance as a child of God, and that he welcomes me into his presence for eternity starting now. Not starting when we die, starting now. That here and now we have an opportunity to be in relationship with Jesus. Here and now we have an opportunity to be knowing him and being known by him. And so Dallas Willard says this about a disciple. A disciple, and to be a disciple, is not to be perfect. It's to always be with the Master. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means that you're with Him all the time. We never have to walk away from Him. We never have to sever the relationship. To be a disciple is not to be perfect, it's to always be with the master. You see, that word disciple that we find in Scripture can often be translated as apprentice or learner. A disciple is somebody who's learning from Jesus. They do that by spending time with Jesus. An apprentice, you might think of an electrician or a plumber. They don't know everything. They're not perfect. They're learning. They're learning from a master electrician or a master plumber. They're spending time. They're saying... You do it, I'll watch. Then I'll do it, and you watch. And then, after a while, I'll be able to do it without you watching, and it'll be good. 
And it's the same in our relationship with Jesus. We see how he did it in Scripture. We watch, we pay attention, we learn from others who are further down the stream than us. And then we start doing those things. We start doing what the Master did. And he watches, and he shows us. And he says, you were a little heavy-handed that time. Bring it back a little bit. You were a little timid in that situation. Move forward. And he speaks to us through his spirit. And he speaks to us through the fellowship of believers. He speaks to us through his word. And he instructs us. And he shows us where we've gotten off course. And he shows us the right way. And we learn to live our lives, our whole lives, as Jesus would if he were me. What would Jesus do? I won't go down that rabbit trail because I could spend five minutes talking about what would Jesus do and how powerful that question is and how that question could literally transform your life if you would just ask it a couple hundred times a day. What would Jesus do? Would Jesus binge a Netflix series? Or would he spend time in the Word? See? What would Jesus do? We don't ask the question because we don't want to know the answer sometimes. Because the flesh wants to binge the Netflix series. It doesn't want to do what Jesus would do. It was amazing that we had like 40 people sign up for the 24 hours of prayer. And I celebrated that. But based on the first service, second service, I'm guessing there's going to be pretty close to a couple hundred people between the two services. So that means we were less than 20% of our congregation that participated in the 24 hours of prayer. I'm not telling you that to make you feel bad. I hope that the Spirit is convicting you and that when we do this again on April 8th and 9th, mark your calendars, that you could be a part of it because it was powerful. Every single person that has communicated with me about the time that they spent in the 24 hours of prayer has said it was amazing. It was powerful. Are we doing that again soon? And the answer is yes. April 8th and 9th. Put it on your calendars. We want to do this quarterly. Maybe grow it. Maybe have times where you could come and have somebody intercede for you or anoint you. There's all kinds of opportunities for you to connect with God, to be known by God. There are banding together journal groups. There are Sunday school classes. There are serving teams. Like, there's all kinds of ways to be growing closer to Jesus, to be known by Jesus, and to be learning from Jesus. If we would just lean into them. And I got, I got convicted towards the end of the conference that I was at yesterday. They were saying, you know, what happens in here has to get out there. Or we're just scratching the surface. If we just come and we spend time worshiping together and we spend time learning from God, but we don't go out and take it to the streets, we don't go out and take it to our neighbors, we don't go out and take it to our workplaces, then we're only scratching the surface. And it's just a blip on the radar screen and really nothing changes. But if we take what we're learning and we take it to our neighbors and we take it to our workplace and we take it to our families and we take it to the strangers that we encounter and we spread the love of Jesus with every single person that we meet, then the world could literally change. Not just our world, but the world. And sometimes we just pull back. We say, well, I'm not good enough yet. And you're right, but he's not waiting for you to be good enough. He's waiting for you to be obedient enough to say what he prompts you to say, to go where he prompts you to go, to do what he prompts you to do, to give what he prompts you to give, to spend the time with you that, with him that 
He prompts you to spend. He's not waiting for perfection. He's waiting for obedience. He's waiting for availability. And when we show up, he begins to move in us. He begins to move through us. And then people get touched. And lives get changed. And the kingdom expands. And it grows. And the spirit moves. And more lives. And then more lives get touched. Because there's people that nobody in this church knows. But they know somebody you know. And so if you share with that person, then they can share with that person. The circle expands. And that's why this group of 12 that followed Jesus around is now grown to two and a half billion people around the world that know who Jesus is and have spent time investing in a relationship with him. Because it's not what you do. It's who you know. And so you might be wondering, okay, so what do I do with all this, Pastor Mark? What's the next right thing for me to do? And I love that about God, that he doesn't, he doesn't tell us to go back and edit our story. He says, start a new story with me right now. What's the next right thing that you can do? And if you're close to God, the answer is take the next step with God. If you are in a relationship with Jesus, if you know him and he knows you, I love this quote from Nick Hall, that the next right thing when you're close to God is the next step. And it resonated with me deeply because I often close a sermon with asking you, what is your next step? Every single person in this room has a next step to take. And if you're saying, well, not me, Pastor Mark, I'm not close to God. Well, then the right thing for you to do is to get close to God. Because if you're already close to God, then the next right thing to do is the next step. Because you're led by the Spirit. And Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, if we're led by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit is on the move. And if you're with the Spirit, then the Spirit will show you the next right step. But if you're not close to God, you need to get close to God. You need to get to know God, and God needs to get to know you, and that's how you will spend eternity with him. And that's how others will come to spend eternity with him. And so if you're not close to God and you're saying, I want to be closer to God, I've got good news for you. He wants you to be closer to him too. This is not a game of cat and mouse. It's like, oop, I'm over here now. You go over there, oop, over here now. Oh, I'm over there. You don't have to leave this church and go to a different church to find God. He's here. He's as close as opening up this book and starting to read it and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal himself to you. I would suggest you don't start in the book of Judges. You'll be confused, depressed, a little afraid. Start with the book of John. Start with the book of Mark. Get to know who Jesus is. Start with the book of Acts. Read about people who were so passionately in love with Jesus that they would die for him, and many of them did. If you're confused, find somebody who isn't, that has known Jesus longer, that can help you to understand. Get in part, become a part of a group. We have lots of groups. We would love to have more. Spend time in his word. Spend time with people who are in his word. Spend time in prayer with God through the Holy Spirit. You say, I don't know how to pray. You know how to talk? Talk to God. That's prayer. Prayer is nothing more than talking with God about matters of mutual concern. 
If it matters to you, it matters to God. Talk to him about it. Ask him what matters to him and talk to him about it. He'll, he'll reveal himself to you. And if you're struggling in this, there are people here who will help you. I'm one of them. I'm looking at others. There are people here who will help you. There are resources that you can connect yourself to to know God better, to understand his word better, to understand what it is saying to you and how you can apply it to your life. We've got a Next Steps class coming up next week. I meant to mention that earlier. If you want to know what your next step might be, you could come to the Next Steps class. This is traditionally geared more towards people that are new to Linwood. But it's not just for them. If you're feeling like God is calling you to take a next step with him, or you're trying to figure out what that is, if it's a place to serve, if it's a group, if it's getting connected to prayer, you can come to the Next Steps class. We'll give you lunch. You can learn about how you can get connected and how you can make the next step with God. We also have a first impressions team meeting right after this service, like 20 minutes from now. We had some people cancel late, so we got extra food. If you would like to get involved, it strikes me that the first passage that we read, the sheep and the goats, it's all about hospitality, isn't it? Like reaching out to people, helping people. You know, it takes a lot of courage to walk through the front door of a church for the first time or the first time in a long time or a new church. You can be a part of a team that makes people feel welcome, makes people feel like they belong here. There are all kinds of ways to get connected. Will you lean into one? Can we help you? Let us know how we can help you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for who you are. Sometimes we get so focused on what you have done or what you do specifically for us that we forget to thank you simply for who you are. You are the God of the universe. You are holy. You are perfect. You are all-powerful. You are all-knowing. You need nothing that you have made, and yet you deeply desire to be in relationship with us. You deeply desire to know us and to be known by us. Help us, Spirit, right now. To deepen our desire to know you and be known by you. Help us to prioritize you above all else. Help us to desire you more than anything else. For those of you that are listening to this, that you, you recognize, I don't know Jesus. He doesn't know me. I do not have a relationship with him. Today can be the day of salvation. Today can be the day where you cry out to him. You say, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to be known by you. I confess that I've made a mess of my life. I confess that I have turned my back on you, that I have ignored you, that I have done things that would separate me from eternity, separate me from you for eternity. And I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to come into my life, to begin a relationship with me. I surrender it all to you, Lord. If you prayed that prayer, you started a relationship with the God of the universe. 
you're saying, Pastor Mark, I prayed that prayer. But I feel so lost. I feel like I've gone too far away. You haven't gone too far away. And you're not lost because Jesus is always with you and he is never lost. Take his hand. Let him lead you where he wants you to go. Let him lead you into a deeper relationship with himself. Let him lead you into his word. And if you're in that kind of relationship with Jesus, you spend time with him every day. It's rich. It's satisfying. You have the life that he died for you to have through a relationship with him. And you just need to ask him, God, who are you sending to me that I can bring to you? Who are you sending to me that I can pour into? Who are you sending to me that I can develop a relationship with? God, show us our next step. Show us. so that we can take it and your kingdom can expand. It's in Jesus' name we pray.